The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Now a man was ill, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and you want to go back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If one walks during the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks at night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. He said this and then told them, Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I am going to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Master, if he is asleep, he will be saved. But Jesus was talking about his death, while they thought that he meant ordinary sleep. So then Jesus said to them clearly, Lazarus has died, and I am glad for you that I was not there, that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called Didymus said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go to die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is asking for you. As soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. For Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, 
and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's funny, at the first Mass, this, this had occurred to me, and so in, uh, when I was at the North American College, we had these really heavy candlesticks. They were about, about this tall, and, you know, they were made in, like, the 40s, so they were solid, heavy brass, but that's what we carried for the torches up there, and then when you had a gospel like this, I think the day that I had to bear the candles, it might have been the prodigal son, but it was one of these really long gospels, and we used to carry them. We had, like, one arm, some sort of chicken wing out to the side, and so there was a point where we were standing there, and I was looking across at the other guy, and we were just like, you know, we were just taking deep breath. Our bodies were like shaking. It was like an upright plank. And so I'll never forget that to this day. So thank God that those, those have staffs on them and you guys can put them on the ground. So um, I got so distracted earlier this morning, I completely forgot the very beginning of my homily. I guess it was just like slight, it was basically the same homily, but it was without a, a huge point I was going to make. So that happens sometimes. So years ago, I think it was like 2009 or 10 or so, I was on a mountaineering trip in, in Ecuador. And, and so we flew into Quito, Ecuador, and we were supposed to climb, hopefully, these two mountains, Cayambe and Cotopaxi. And so while we were there, it started out as a good trip. We did like a, a smaller mountain as like an acclimation mountain and everything like that. And I was discerning at this point. So I was well within my discernment, but not a seminarian yet, but definitely really thinking about it. And while I was there, there's this book. It was one of my favorite mountaineering books that's ever been written. And the title is amazing, too. It's called Conquistadors of the Useless. And so, like, conquistadors are, are conquerors, right? And that book was written about the Alps, right? But So conquerors of the useless. That's how these guys describe mountaineering. And these are some of the best mountaineering of the day, mountaineers of the day. And so I'm there on this trip. And then we go to Kayambe, which is, and these mountains are pretty high, like over 20,000 feet. And so we go to Kayambe, and we are at, like, their hut is at about 15,000 feet, so it's a very, very high. And that night, I remember I started to feel nauseous. And I was like, oh, no. You know, like, I knew it was related to the altitude, but I started to feel really, really bad. And then it turned out that the weather was also really, really terrible as well. And so by the time it started to snow and everything, and we're like, oh, we can't go now. And then by the time the morning came around, I felt so bad. I was just so nauseous. You know, it's like one of those things where 
if I wasn't on a mountain, I would be on my couch in the fetal position, but you know, but I was on a mountain. And so eventually we decided we had to go down and it was like a, gosh, it's like a three or four hour ride in the back of a pickup truck, like in the back of like a four wheel drive vehicle. So that didn't do a whole lot for my nauseousness. But by the time we got back down to keto, I was just like, what am I doing here? And the funny thing in keto is there's a big cathedral, like a Gothic style cathedral, and it really looms over the whole entire city. And I felt like it was just like staring at me the entire time. It was just like, what are you doing here? And I thought about that title, you know, Conquistadors of the Useless. And I, I actually ended up having this sort of moment where I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. So I was with my friends, Drew and Katie, and I actually left. I, I rebooked my tickets and I came back, uh, back home, back to the States, because I felt like I shouldn't be there. They actually went on together and they climbed Cotopaxi. They, they weren't able to climb Kayambe, but I thought, why am I doing this? What am I trying to conquer? And so it was sort of like a vocational crisis at that moment. I remember going back into the States and telling my spiritual director that very thing. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to mention that to you guys for is because there's a profound reality of that, of like, what are we, what are we doing? What are we conquering? What are we trying to, try to do? We basically lead through this whole time of Lent to go through the Lord's passion with him in a way for his resurrection, for his conquering of death. And I realized I started to focus so much more on that reality that the thing that I had always loved to do, the thing that was actually my profession at the time, I was starting to like question why I was doing it in the first place. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about today is the profound loss that you see in this scene with Martha and Mary and Jesus about Lazarus's death. Um, That's a big part of our life, loss and tears are a big part of our life. And I had a professor in the seminary that used to say, faith begins where human hope ends. And what he meant by that is this. Often we do everything that we know how to do humanly. Um, we get people the medical help that they need, and we're at their bedside, and we're, there, we're bringing them whatever they need, food, water, you know, anything that they need to help them at that time, Right. But there's a point at which that hits a very sharp ceiling. And then you realize that there's no more that you can do in this human world. And that is a pivotal moment because that's when faith takes the handoff and then something else different takes over in that moment for people with faith. And um, this next little passage I want to read to you is actually from St. Augustine's Confessions. The Confessions is not a very big book overall, but it's very profound because it's talking about St. Augustine's journey from unbelief to belief. And so you see how he handles things sort of when he's not a believer and then when he becomes a believer. And this is a moment that he experiences the the death of one of his very, very best friends. And it's an amazing, amazing quote. And I remember when I had lost somebody that I had loved in my life, And there was only a couple of things that I had ever read that really hit me. And I was like, that guy gets it. Because sometimes we don't know how to put our grief, our mourning into words. But somebody else sometimes does. And then you're like, that person must have truly lost somebody. And so this is what Augustine says about the loss of his dear friend. 
He says, I was amazed that other mortals went on living when he was dead, whom I had loved as though he would never die, and still more amazed that I could go on living myself when he was dead, I who had been like another self to him. It was well said that a friend is half one's own soul. I felt that my soul and his had been but one, one soul and two bodies, and I shrank from life with loathing because I could not bear to be only half alive. And perhaps I was so afraid of death because I did not want the whole of him to die, whom I had loved so dearly. I mean, that's somebody who gets the, the loss of somebody and feels it profoundly and deeply in his life. And of course, it's the very same man who's famous for the, cro- the quote, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And so at this time, he's wrestling a lot with belief. And these tears, they hit him so heavily and so it was so difficult for him at that moment in his life. And it's not unlike everybody's experience of Lazarus. You know, they're pleading with the Lord, like, why? You know, why? If you were here, this could have been, this could have been different. But, but remember from that story, he actually waits to go back so that he's not there to cure him while he's just sick, but the, the, so he can actually resurrect him. And, and it's so clear that that, can, that talk about sleeping, he even makes it clear he is not sleeping. Lazarus is dead. So he makes it very clear to everybody that this is not like a case of mistaken identity at all, that he is going to do this for everybody so that they believe, so that they can set their sights on something far greater that's going to happen. Of course, his own resurrection when another, another stone is rolled away from the tomb. We remember not that long ago, too, when um, the, the man comes to Jesus about his daughter, who is, who is sick, right? He says, my, my daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she might get well and live again. And once again, he raises her from the dead. But yet, we, we still mourn. Remember, they're in the midst of this situation, right? But we know these are some of the very same people that afterward, it, it, it builds up this grace, great faith within them. It starts to allow them to understand what the resurrection is really about and about, are we doing things to conquer stuff in this world? Are, are we aligned with Christ who conquers death so that we live in a different world and a different life in heaven? And so some of you know C.S. Lewis pretty well and have read a lot of his things. He wrote this tiny little book that's a beautiful book called The Grief Observed After the Loss of His Own Wife. And one of the things that he read, he said in there, he said, the death of a beloved is an amputation. You know, it just literally feels like a part of your own body is gone. And then he says again, her absence is like the sky spread over everything. Uh, just, just an amazing way of saying that it's sort of unescapable because, because who's not underneath the sky, right? And then his famous book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is what he says that's so amazing. That's an allusion to our Lord Jesus Christ in his own crucifixion. Remember, in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, the lion, Aslan, is a figure of Jesus. That's who he represents. And Susan and Lucy are there at Jesus's, or at Aslan's crucifixion, so to speak. And this is what Lewis writes about that moment. I think one of the most profound moments in the entire book. 
I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. Amazingly well-written for that moment or for what it feels like to lose somebody. One of the things that I thought was so amazing is that I think almost all of you had the exposure to Father Richard and my cousin, Brother Rufino, from the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal because they preached all the masses even, even if you weren't able to make it to the mission itself. But something that I'm amazed by and inspired by is because they have let things of the world go They've sort of died to themselves in their poverty and the life that they chose, and they're free from a lot of anxiety. It's funny, Janelle is here today, and she helped drive the friars around. They don't have cell phones. They don't have car. They don't even have any money of their own in their pocket. Now, because of all of your generosity, people are like, here, take this to get something to eat at the airport. And they go on stuff like that, but they go completely on the providence of God. And every once in a while, we would get an email to be like, our flight is delayed, we'll just be there tomorrow. But when they got here, just no anxiety, no looking at their phone because they don't have one, no just worried about all these different things. Before one of the masses, Catherine and Marie, who sing at the 1230 Mass, Marie is a very organized person, and she's the pianist. And so Father Richard walks up to her about five minutes before the Mass and was just like, so, you know, I think this is what we'll do, you know, for the music and everything. And she's thinking, Father, it's five minutes till Mass starts. And yet Father Richard is not worried at all because he knows the most important thing is going to happen, that Jesus is going to be consecrated on this altar and be present to all of us. And he's just not worried about it. That's a group of people that have realized realized that the only thing that was important to conquer was Jesus conquering death itself. Uh, Not any of the accomplishments or things that we necessarily do in this world. There's a professor that I had in the seminary that talked to us one time about those who who lack belief in, in their struggles in life. And I asked him this question. I said, I said, Father, is there a reason why, for example, Two, two soldiers can go off to war. They can be fighting the same enemy, fighting shoulder to shoulder, and one of them would come back and, and really suffer from post-traumatic stress, and one of them um, seemingly can get through it, you know, get over it. Might, might still be difficult, but could seemingly kind of move on, um, some people, without any particular repercussions at all. He said, yes, actually. He's like, there's a psychological term that they use called resilience. And there is a direct link of those who display the quality of resilience with those who believe in God, those who see something greater than themselves, because it looks something like this. When they're running towards an enemy and they're dodging the same bullets, one of them sees something far beyond just that situation of violence and destruction that they're in. They see Christ. They see resurrection. They see a different promise out there. That's where the other person often gets caught in that very moment itself. 
and can't see beyond it. This gift that Jesus gives to Martha and Mary and all the other people that were around Lazarus is to give them that vision, to allow them to see that there's something far greater than the grief that they experience right there in that moment. Lastly, St. Augustine, again, continuing to talk about this same friend, says this. He says, feverishly, I thrashed about, sighed, wept, and was troubled, and there was no repose for me, nor any counsel. Within me, I was carrying a tattered, bleeding soul that did not want me to carry it, yet I could find no place to lay it down. Not in pleasant countryside did it find rest, nor in shows and songs, nor in the pleasures of couch or bed, nor even in books and incantations. All things lowered at me, even daylight itself. And everything that was not what he was seemed to be offensive and hateful, except for mourning and tears, in which alone I found some slight relief. Just, just unreal. But that's, we're no different than Augustine or C.S. Lewis. We feel the loss of our loved ones that way. But in the promise of Christ, in Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 4, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested in every way, yet without sin. So Jesus experienced our experience, but he also walked through moments like this with us to point to something far greater. Now, I mentioned this to you guys a number of times because it hit me so profoundly, but I told you what one of the sisters at Our Lady of Peace had said to one of my friends. She said this very phrase, if you die before you die, then when you die, you don't die. And what she was referring to is that those of us on this earth who learn how to die to ourselves and realize that we don't want to be conquistadors of the useless, but we want to put our life into something that truly, truly matters. That's our faith. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, like what, the, that's what the friars have done. So that if you die before you die, you learn how to die to the things of this earth. Then when you die, you're already aligned with Christ. You're already aligned with his resurrection and that you'll be ready to meet him in your own death. God bless you all.